Hello and welcome to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation. Brought to you by Hirespace. This week, we bring you an exclusive interview with Michael Hurst, chairman of the British Visitors and Events Partnership. He called in to discuss their new manifesto ahead of the general election. We got to refresh the whole of our advocacy with probably a whole new set of ministers. Then, Charlotte Gentry, Chetan Shah and Edward Poland break down some of the numbers on the BVEP manifesto and discuss sustainability and communication in the News Digest. Chet, how have you found your first podcast experience? I don't know, I'll have to wait to see what your numbers, if they dip or don't. <laughs> and we finish up with Jake and Kate discussing two brand new venues open this week in Venue Talk. There was one sort of fat, naked bloke in nappy. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, which was really interesting. Yeah, nice. So without any further ado, phoning into the studio, we have Michael Hurst. Thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Most of our listeners will be very familiar with the BVEP um, because they're all events professionals. Um, but just for those that are a bit new and starting out, can you um, tell us a bit more about the BVEP? Well, we've in fact been going for over 20 years. We're an umbrella group for all the trade associations that cover the various uh, sectors of the events industry. Everything from business events, conferences, trade fairs, outdoor events, incentive travel, right the way through to the leisure events sector, which includes cultural festivals, uh, sporting and music events. It's an industry that's worth £70 billion of visitor spend to the UK economy. And that actually means that uh, over 50% of all spend in the UK visitor economy is event related. So quite an important uh, industry grouping. It's a very key time at the moment um, with the British election looming. Um, what's the purpose of this manifesto? We can't obviously influence ministers. Ministers have actually been very, very uh, good with us over the last two to three years. We've actually uh, established an events industry board, which is an industry-led group of uh, representatives of uh, industry uh, organizations together with government agencies and government departments and that looks at offering ministers guidance as to the way policies should be framed and developed uh, for the events industry but of course we haven't got any ministers now that there's a general election so we're setting out a policy agenda uh, which we hope will influence uh, parliamentary candidates um, to see what policies could actually help the events sector and improve the economic uh, prospects of the country, as well as the uh, community um, uh, cohesion, which events do very well as, as well. Um, and uh, I'm asking that to the partners who have a host of members throughout the country, hundreds of small businesses, all of which are in different constituencies, to present the manifesto to parliamentary candidates so that they can get on board uh, and hopefully when they get into parliament uh, we can push this agenda even further. So is it, is it working um, in an advisory capacity um, in, in order to sort of uh, promote the events industry as a, as a way of improving the economic growth of the UK? Yeah I mean we've set out in this manifesto uh, the the shape of the industry, the size of the industry, the value of the industry and its key characteristics. And then we have uh, divided into five parts the sorts of things that we feel government should be doing 
to make Britain the leading European country for staging events. First of all, uh, working together with government, we need to enhance the UK's position as a leading European country for hosting event. We've already got, as I said, some very good working relationship across government departments, especially within DCMS, which is our sponsoring department, and also with the Department of International Trade, which of course is very connected to the work that our exhibitions and trade shows do in uh, exporting goods, products and services, as well as our creative talent throughout the world. So we want to uh, up the game. Uh, we've got a, a UK government international business mm. events action plan that was published only a short while ago. And we want to see that fully implemented. We want to see a strong partnership being developed with government departments in terms of improving trade prospects and also to see that the sector is incorporated in the creative industry strategy so we can promote the use of Britain's creative talent and organising services which are exported worldwide. Then there's a host of uh, things on a more competitive tax regime. We've got an exciting skills agenda following the publication of the Talent Task Force report, which is working its way through government. This is setting up SIC and SOC codes. These are specialist data codes which will help the industry analyse its workforce. We want to support the establishment of an independent skills body and help promote the events industry as a desirable career. And then there's a section on avoiding greater regulation. Obviously, in a post-Brexit environment, there's all sorts of impediments that could actually hinder the smooth running of events. And we want government to be very aware of avoiding those type of situations which will impede our efficiency. And finally, we need to grow our infrastructure. We need to attract more investment and ensure that connectivity is there to make our event venues best in class on a global scale. Are you expecting a lot of resistance to the manifesto? I don't think so. I think, in fact, most of the asks are on the table already. We've been discussing with the present administration these sorts of points, and we're not getting any pushback. In fact, because government now recognises the importance of events to the economy. Yeah, finally. Uh, finally, it is actually very receptive. However, the pace of progress within any government policy agenda can be very slow. And we've got a new slate of ministers coming on board. So we've actually got to refresh um, the whole of our arguments and the whole of our advocacy with probably a whole new set of ministers. So it's almost starting from scratch again, but we're not deviating from the program that we had initially set out. This is a continuation from our point of view, but for a lot of ministers, it will be a new business approach. And hopefully we'll be able to continue the momentum that we've already got going. And what can the events industry do to support this manifesto? Well, I think singing off the same hymn sheet is important. We're a very diverse industry. The things we do are very diverse, you know, ranging from a sporting event, a music event, right the way through to a, you know, a, he a heavy business event, conference, large-scale exhibition. But there are some common issues, and, and this document includes all the common issues that we can all coalesce around. So speaking with one voice, speaking uh, in harmony, working in collaboration is vital. I would suggest that um, people who work in the industry and the businesses in the industry should get behind their respective trade organisations and professional organisations. 
because it is those organizations that then sit round the table of the BVEP and we can work out the common causes. As I said earlier, I think bringing to the attention of parliamentary candidates of all parties mm. in local constituencies, the case for events, what events actually achieve in terms of um, both economic and social benefit is important. And if we have local MPs gend up on what we need, then by the time they get into parliament, there's the all-party parliamentary group, the APPG for events, uh, which works within parliament. It holds ministers to account. It asks questions on the floor of the house and written questions to ministers. And then, of course, we've got the BVP itself working up through the events industry board. So there's a lot of connectivity already in terms of the lobbying that we do. So I would ask um, industry uh, practitioners, event professionals, to get behind their um, professional and trade organisations to make sure that we've got strength in numbers and support for a common cause. Mm. The manifesto can be downloaded from the BVEP website, but what else can individuals do to better educate themselves about the situation and the goals of and everything else? So, I mean, the first step is to... Um, download. Um, in fact, if you go to the BVEP website, you'll not only find the manifesto, you'll find a, a lot of other documents that will help event professionals do their business better. There's details about the Visit Britain Business Event Support Programme, which provides funding and uh, support, A, to win new events, and B, to increase attendance at existing events. Uh, that uh, program is supported by the GREAT program, and we're hoping it will continue after the election with even greater funding. Uh, then there's uh, lots of details about other pieces of uh, research that have recently come to light. And there's a whole new piece of research on the outdoor events sector, new research on exhibitions and trade fairs. All of this is on the website, together with a new report that is in the final stages of uh, preparation will be published in the first quarter of uh, 2020 called Events Are Great, which is a um, upward revision of a report that was done in 2014 last time, which will show the diversity of the sector. It will actually cover each discrete sector in detail, showing trends, characteristics, opportunities, looking at education and looking at careers uh, looking at, in fact, how the event industry fits into the government's present industrial strategy. And we do fit extremely well. And Michael, this is this is obviously all come at the start of the Christmas period, the run up to uh, the, the, one of the busiest time in the events industry. I'm sure you're going to be incredibly busy over the next couple of weeks. Going to have any time to sort of uh, relax over Christmas or is it you going to be flat out? Well, actually, the, the, the strange thing of a general election is that from the point of view of being able to lobby government or ministers, everything actually closes down. We're actually in a period now which is known as PERDA strange expression but that's what it is <laughs> where civil servants and officials within government departments are not allowed to discuss policy or or deal with policy issues so there's virtually nothing going on in whitehall which means i probably have an easier time than i would have had otherwise in fact your listeners may well know that the business of events series of um, conferences uh, had to be postponed due to the general election mm. we managed to do one in wales at the new uh, International Convention Centre uh, at uh, Celtic Manor in Newport, 
a, a really good dinner with uh, Welsh politicians together with other influential policymakers. And then we had a really good day conference for the Welsh events community, bringing together all practitioners to encourage more collaboration. We were hoping to do something similar in Parliament and in London and also in Edinburgh. But for the time being, that's had to be um, put on ice. But it'll be brought back uh, in February. Yeah. So actually, a lot of what we're doing now is planning for January. We'll obviously hear late on the 12th of December, early 13th of December, what sort of government we're going to have to deal with. And then um, a very short window before the Christmas recess. But, um, you know, we're, go- we're carrying on with information dissemination to our members. There's a hell of a lot on Brexit. We, we, mm. we published a lot of documentation on a no-deal Brexit. That's now been put on ice. Um, but uh, we're obviously giving guidance and, and listening to the industry because it's vitally important that the industry tells us what the key issues are so that we can actually work towards ameliorating any problems that come out of those issues. And what's the best way for sort of industry leaders to feed that back to you? Well, there are two ways. I, I, I hold the position as chairman of the BVP. I'm also a chair of the Events Industry Board. We've got two mechanisms. One, as I said, hopefully most of the businesses in our industry are members of their professional associations and and those professional associations and trade associations are members of the BVP. So there's an easy route to put um, issues on the table. Similarly, with the Events Industry Board, um, a lot of the members of the board actually are uh, from trade associations. But we also have an Event Industry Senior Leaders Forum, uh, which is made up of the key businesses from the sector so we can actually hear at first hand from industry leaders what their challenges are if industry businesses have got key issues they can actually represent those to the events industry board there's a website for the events industry board as well as there being a copiously filled website for the BVEP. Thank you so much, Michael, for taking the time to talk to us. I guess the, the one thing left to say is like to wish you luck with the progress over the next couple of months. It sounds like there's a, a lot of things still up in the air, but you've got a really clear manifesto to sort of cut through the more tumultuous time in yeah. the UK. Yeah, I, I think there are many, many, many industry sectors in the United Kingdom, and uh, we are one of them, but at least we've set out our stall. Hopefully our voice will be heard. All right. Thank you very much, Michael. Um, yeah, Thank really, you, really and I wish you a, a happy festive season. <laughs> to, all, to all your listeners who will probably be very busy with Christmas office parties and uh, other gatherings, which you know help the events industry be as great as it is. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Up next, you know it, you love it. It's News Digest. Evening, everyone. Evening, Ed. Hi, evening, Ed. Charlotte Gentry, Pure Events. Lovely to see you. You've had a couple of awards this week or last week. Uh, we, we 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 won an award this week actually, um, but Evcom had um, some awards uh, last week, which was really really fabulous um, at the uh, British Film Institute, which is quite an amazing venue actually, and I hadn't been to before on the South Bank, um, and it was a really really fun evening. It was great. Fantastic. What were the awards? Uh, we had the London Film Awards and we had the Live Event Awards um, in one 
event. Um, and um, so we did, we did a slightly different format this year where we had two screening rooms and actually the awards were conducted simultaneously. And then we all came together for drinks at the and food at the end after the awards, which actually worked really well because it means you don't sit down for a seated dinner and have awards going on until 11 o'clock at night. You can get them done in the space of an hour and then you can actually network and have fun. And it was great, actually, and the feedback's been brilliant. Fantastic. Got a pod debut. Chetan Shah, CEO of MiceBook. Be gentle. <laughs> Welcome, Chet. Thank you. For those listeners, if there are any who don't know what MiceBook is and does, tell us. So it's a platform for event planners. It's a hub to store all of your amazing intel that you get when you travel to amazing venues, destinations all over the world. So you can put all that intel into the platform and you can get inspired through our destination guides, through our supplier search. Fantastic. So we had a question from the audience. And as you're here, Chet, I thought this would be a good one. So this is from Rory from The Guardian, who asked, does information travel around the global events industry quicker than ever before? I'm going to say yes and no. Yes, if it's bloody good, really bad, or really funny, then it gets around really quickly. If it's in the middle... I think it's much, much harder now to get information because it's information overload. People have got so much. So actually, information isn't traveling that fast if it's not quite right. What's causing too much information? Is that social media, new platforms? What what is it that's causing the overload? There are so many ways to deliver information, I think. That's half the challenge. And it's where you actually provide that content and where you place it and which channel and which portal you place it on. There are a lot of events that are all happening from different um, producers that are all producing panel discussions and um, interesting content face-to-face at industry events as well. So there's a huge amount of knowledge share there. I think where the challenge is as an agency owner is actually the knowledge share internally um, for agencies to have the time to actually share that knowledge. That's my biggest bugbear. Chet, you do. So you make it easier for agencies and event planners to find suppliers across the world. That's right. right? So that must be much easier than it was previously, no? It's definitely much easier. And that's kind of why we came about into the industry was because there was so much knowledge flying around the world, which is great. But housing it somewhere when you actually need that knowledge was painful. And it was a pain point that we wanted to address. And hence, MySpot came about because that's where when you need it, you can go to the platform, find the suppliers you need to find, find... um, the destinations, the DMCs, the hotels, venues. But equally, if you've got that intel somewhere, then six months later, you can also Mm. access it as well. And so can your colleagues. So it was trying to address that information pain point. So loads of information everywhere. Overload, information overload. So the ones that will win out, I guess, in providing the information, the ones that curate it properly, is that right? And provide interesting content at the end of the day, because I think now in the events industry, content is probably king. In fact, I think it's Gary V um, online, who is a social, so he's actually a marketing guru, um, does all he talks about is how it's important just to produce content upon content um, for for your own business. And that actually, if you're not doing that um, in 10 years time, you probably won't have one. So that's quite interesting, I think. Yeah, and I think to you can produce as much content as well like as, as you want, but actually if it's not interesting, if it's not genuine, if it hasn't got a, the right angle, it's again, it just gets washed away with everything else. I remember doing a post the other day on LinkedIn and it was about the 40 Elephants Bar at Great Scotland Yard and it was about the history of these. For 200 years, these ladies were um, a team, a gang of thieves and everybody loved that post because it was genuine, it was interesting, it was historical and I had the most amount of kind of feedback because it was just really interesting. People want information at their fingertips now, right? When you take the example of sourcing an event or booking a venue, people want 
people want it very, very quickly. Absolutely, and certainly, um, uh, I don't want to mention the the dreaded M word as again millennials, but you know they um, expect to have instant access to information twenty four seven, constantly strapped to their smartphones. Um, you know, and if they haven't got it, they get bored within matter of you know seconds, and then moving on to the next thing. So how you present that content is really, really important. So it travels around the world faster, but there's a lot of there's a lot of rubbish content out there. So if you're producing content, make it relevant, create it properly. Yes, and make it relevant to to the to the sector that you're actually appealing to and to your audience. Because there's no point in putting something totally random up or even blowing your own trumpet. Actually, there's no point in blowing your own trumpet anymore. It's much better to actually address those pain points that people are experiencing within within a particular industry and actually talking about those and certainly in our sector there are a number of different pain points of people one of which is mental health and stress and another which is sustainability and people how we address those topics one thing i think is clear if you're a supplier in this industry you've got to get your information out there front and center you've got to make sure it's accurate and it's and it's visible otherwise you lose out in this market right yeah absolutely but Key is face-to-face still. We are a digital platform, but actually, even in this global industry, it's face-to-face which really resonates. It's memorable. It's where relationships are made. And ultimately, it's how good business is done. So for information and to uh, win business, face-to-face is still king. Fence is all about the magic of people, right? Yeah, of course. Okay, so um, I want to talk about the, the BVP have published uh, this week a manifesto for Britain's events industry. They do this before every single election. I don't want to go into too much detail about it, but what I thought I would do is, is run through some of these numbers. So they publish up-to-date numbers about the events industry every year. How much do, do BVP estimate that the British events industry is going to be worth through direct spend in 2020? What can you guess? I think, I'm, I, think I might actually know what that digit is, which I think is probably around the 70 billion mark. You've done your homework. 70 billion. <laughs> <laughs> On the nose. Com- which is quite staggering, actually. Amazing, it's right? really extraordinary. It was far higher than I imagined it to be. It was 40 billion not so long ago. I think it's I think globally it's going to be something like 1.2 billion by 2021, or I might have that wrong, but it's big. Conference and meetings attract 95.3 million delegates, generating 18.3 billion of direct expenditure. 95 million delegates. It's very encouraging that there's such a growth in this area for starters. Um, and it also shows that more than a big enough slice of the pie for, for those of us who are in the sector. My personal view is that actually we all want to be working in the sector. We all have, have you know, we're all, some of us are all working actually without realising it for the same clients as well. But there could be a lot more collaboration, I think, within the agency arena of actually working together and working with each other and providing specialisms to each other um, and therefore doing a better job for the for the end client. Hmm. So of that 70 billion, conference and meetings is, 90, is, is 18.3 billion. 11 billion is exhibitions and trade fairs, and they bring 9.1 million visitors. 38.8 billion is outdoor music, cultural, festival, and sporting events. And they attract, if anyone can guess this number, they really have done their homework. <laughs> don't think I got that far down the document. 137.6 million people. Wow. I mean, we are very well known, though, as a country for how fabulous our festivals are. I think our brand in that area is very, very big and obviously championed by the likes of Glastonbury, which is grown and grown and grown over the years and we market them very very well you know we attract all the best 
artists and best entertainment and acts to this country to be able to perform. There aren't that many global festivals like Glastonbury that we all know as a brand as well as as well as that, I would argue. So the manifesto sets out what's important for us as a, as a UK events industry going forward. What, what are your views on, on that? What are the big things that we need to focus on? For me, it's... One, I love the fact that we have numbers. And I think as an industry, we need those because we need to lobby for um, getting better regulation as part of the BVEP manifesto. We need to get... Um, better support through the industry, recognition. And one thing that at the level that I work at and I can speak to is we are really undervalued as an industry, I think. And we need these organisations to elevate what we do for this country. When you say undervalued, undervalued by who? Well, I think that, so for an example, if in times of uncertainty, if there is um, any sign of a recession, what do you think the first thing that gets cut is? And Traditionally, it will be the work that we do, which is live events. Why? Because it's the easiest thing to cut because we are probably still really poor at evaluating the ROI. Mm. So if you look at a PR company, they know to the to the pound what their work is worth because they can say this article raised went around the world and it generated 32 you know, million pounds worth of headline or coverage we struggle to do that and then hence we struggle to fight our cause for the for that slice of the pie in the marketing mix anything we can do the organization can do to give our industry that that value the better for us as an industry because it's such an important part of organizations corporations especially when they're going through tough times they need to communicate effectively and like i said before face-to-face is king and modern marketing events is just a key part of any modern brand marketing strategy right yeah absolutely perhaps we're not necessarily banging our own drum enough in terms of the strategic angle that we have to bring to the table within the marketing mix you know i mean events has always had a you know it was you know in inverted commas what was it party planning and it was you know had a bit of a fluffy um, stigma, (laughs) stigma to it and now it's um, a much more strategic B2B marketing piece of activity. And perhaps we need to be spending a lot more time talking about that. And, you know, the amount of business events that happen in this in this country now is absolutely massive. And, and, and as it as it should be, because we're an incredibly historic um, nation. So, you know, an, an amazing place to visit. Um, so there's a lot of incoming traffic. Totally agree. I mean, we're all business owners. I think we. I know you guys. You, you guys do events. We all do live events as part of our marketing strategy. You, you can't. You can't. You mentioned that you know PR and might be PPC. It's it's, it's very measurable, but it's, it's it's not enough. You need especially in this. You need you know you need that face to face. You need that engagement. Events is just one part of the mix, which is indispensable. No. Mm. I mean, it's interesting that you raise that point actually, um, Chet, because I remember working in the PR industry a million years ago back then they had no means of measuring that ROI and one of their biggest sales as as in PR was we simply can't um, measure how, where our where our value is and they've obviously found a mechanism now or the industry has found a mechanism which in which to be able to do that but certainly 15 to 20 years ago they didn't have that so it's obviously evolved enough to illustrate its value and maybe that's what we need to really start working on and, and i think it's showcased by the way we charge as agencies or when i used to work at agency a lot of agencies used to charge a percentage fee now if you order a bottle of wine or a bottle of champagne you're still ordering something so it shouldn't be on percentage it should be 
and a lot of agencies have moved to this, it should be a time-based, project-fee-based model, which gives value to the time and effort that those professionals are putting into the project. But it's still lots of agencies, you know, if you look at Venifind agencies, they're still working on commissions, and that is their only source of revenue. Now, is that is that a model that should be able to survive, especially with the commission changes that are happening in the industry? But all the way to how we charge, do we actually value ourselves as much as we should? And are we our own worst enemies sometimes? Well, go and check it out. It's on the BVEP website. It's a manifesto for Britain's uh, events industry. Really interesting stuff. You can download it on the BVEP website. Sustainability, talk about it a lot. It really, really feels like people are taking sustainability seriously. It's so much in the conversation today. We had an event huddle all about sustainability. Uh, Chet, again, I know you have uh, focused on sustainability as the core theme of one of your, your recent experience guides. How come? So our destination guides are always country than city so we thought well actually we wanted to deliver a a range of guides that are borderless inspiration so whether it's winter incentives or wellness etc it's not necessarily by a country and one of the hottest topics is sustainability at the moment we've written over the course of this year maybe eight nine articles about sustainability that's all great but when I'm looking at say I've got a a real desire to put sustainability in my program or a client's ask for it where can I find that relevant information hence we put a whole guide together on sustainability um, on our experience guides Um, and it talks about everything from best practice to what suppliers are doing to really bring that at the forefront of their offering from BC Hospitality in I think Copenhagen one of the leading markets in sustainable kind of events um, who never waste any food so they have food at their events they then if food isn't actually consumed by the delegates they're then consumed by the staff and if then if that isn't consumed it's actually tended to biofuel so there's never any waste so that all of those suppliers and that kind of those kind of articles and knowledge sits on our guide to hopefully inspire planners Charlie you do you work with corporates all the time are, are we getting serious about sustainability now or are we just getting serious about talking about it um i think there i think it's a, it's a bit of a mixed bag there are some companies where they have very very strong csr policies but it is still a, a hard sell financially i mean yes everybody knows that they need to be doing more from a sustainable perspective and i think plastic is you know i mean you just simply can't deliver plastic at an event anymore there are major changes happening in that respect but in terms of carbon footprint and doing overseas incentives and doing overseas events and kickoffs we've just done four in madrid for a law firm um you know they have an entire csr arm of, of the law firm etc but but they still have to get all their lawyers to a destination to discuss topics how do you how do you mitigate that really and there's a financial implication to sustainability it's not cheap so if you're going to change your modicum of of what you do then you have to you generally speaking have to pay for it i think what we have to do now in in proposals is we have to literally give a shopping list of what that csr list looks like and then and then hand it to the client for them to decide whether they actually want to adopt those procedures or not yeah i mean i think there's a huge amount of talk about sustainability and a real desire. So it's not just talk for talk's sake, but the actual execution, I think, is still quite tough. There, as, as you said, Charlotte, it is expensive. If you really want to uh, make your event more sustainable, um, carbon neutral, it does cost money. But I think corporates are willing to pay and invest in that because they want to be doing good or 
and I don't want to be cynical or seem to be doing good. But everybody, especially the younger generation, this is absolutely paramount. Who they work for, why they work at certain companies, all of these things, it's becoming higher and higher in terms of um, decision making. What I'd like to see more is practical solutions because there's lots of high level things that people can do. But what can I do tomorrow? You know, and I've went to a few panel discussions, etc. And I think what we need to try and do is say, right, tomorrow, right, let's from now on, let's not print our on-site documents. Let's have one master in case, but everything else should be digital. So let's wait on travel or, you know, and as you said, people are looking at kind of other modes of transport, maybe bringing things more domestically or using trains. Those sorts of things are kind of coming more and more in f- uh, the forefront of conversation. It's really good kind of su- 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 supplier-led initiatives as well. I know there's venues in, in London outside that are really, really trying on, on sustainability. We, we have awarded the highest base awards for the greenest venue, which celebrates a sustainable venue. And there were just there were so many more than there have been in pre- mm. previous years. And, and venues actually doing really strong, tangible things to address it, which do, which do cost money, but making that investment. And it, it's great to see, because you need it from both sides of the, of the market, right? Yeah, absolutely. You do. And just, um, you know, I was at this other... Um, panel discussion again and the gentleman from I've forgotten his name he's the I think he's one of the uh, high up with exclusive hotels and he it's a real passion of his at a senior level and at a micro level of how sustainability is done at the hotels and things like there's there's a product called uh, veggie ware I think which is biodegradable plastic but he was pointing out that unless you get into the detail if you put that plastic in the same recycling bin as every other plastic, it's not going to be recycled. They know that because he's, he's gone to the level of detail. But again, the execution is quite tough. So you might think you've got all your recycled bins and you bring this all in. But actually, is it making a difference? That's the detail that people do have, would have to start going into. Guys, we're out of time. Chet, how have you found your first podcast experience? Um, I don't know. I'll have to wait to see what your numbers, if they dip or don't. <laughs> I've got one more question. I didn't, we've been asking all pod guests this. So this is in a frantic events period leading up to Christmas. All of us events professionals are worked to the, to the bone. What are your top tips for staying, for well-being, staying on top of it, staying healthy, feeling fit? What are your top tips for the event professionals out there as they prepare for this uh, Christmas season? The obvious one, hydrate. Yeah. Um, With what? Water. <laughs> okay. In me, my, my trick is to take two ibuprofen before I go to bed if I've had a few. <laughs> I was going to say try and get some um, good quality sleep, but um, I suspect everyone's probably out partying as hard as they are delivering. So, um, um, you know, when you, when you do get downtime at the weekends, then actually make the most of that rather than burning the candle at both ends. Top tips. Chet, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Charlotte, great to see good you. See you. See you next time. Thanks again to our News Digest team and a special thanks to Chet for his first appearance. And now the lowdown on two brand new venues to the UK with Jake and Kate in Venue Talk. Hello and welcome to another episode of Venue Talk. Uh, So we've got myself and Jake here. Hello, how are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm not bad. Good. Well, we've got two very exciting new openings to talk to you guys about today. Um, And I think, Jake, you're kicking off, aren't you? I am indeed. So, Kate, you know Mercato Metropolitano? I do, yeah. a mouthful. Um, Yeah, it's a fantastic market, uh, Elephant and Castle area. It's just near our office, actually. We go there quite a lot. Yeah, we do like it, don't we? Pop around for lunch. (laughs) Too often, I think. Yeah. (laughs) There's a group called the Travelling Circus. It's done by Bestival, Rob DeBank, um, the Radio 1 
ex-DJ, and his wife Josie. They curate Best of All and they've basically brought it to London. Okay. Um, the Travelling Circus is one of the acts that they book regularly. Yeah. And they've brought like the actual set from one of the stages. So it's called Caravan Sarai. Okay. They've, yeah, they've brought it here, like set it all up in, in a, like a part of Mercato. We went down the other night. It was really, really fun. Pretty, pretty like wacky. The whole group is from from Jaipur in India, and they're oh, wow. so 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 talented. And then Amazing. also some of it is so so scary. Yeah, I can. <laughs> like imagine. he is like swallowing like a whole sword, spinning around on his head, and <laughs> um, yeah, it was pretty fun. There was one sort of fat naked bloke in nappy. Oh wow, uh, uh, which was really interesting. Yeah, nice. Yeah, they're going to be in there f- until the first of February, which is a Saturday. Oh, right, that's good. So uh, they're doing a, a New Year's Eve bash. It's not just for Christmas. If anyone out there is looking for like a really fun kind of unique thing for their Christmas party, maybe just a small group of you or maybe you're a venue listening to this and you haven't got your party booked yet. We know you you guys are really, really busy in December. Um, these guys are obviously still running this the whole way through January. Yeah. Um, should be should be fantastic. When we went down there, um, it was the sort of opening night, so all the drinks were free. It was fantastic. There's food from all over the world. It's like a sort of buffet style. You go Amazing. and help yourself. Um, and then they're offering drinks packages, so any, anywhere from sort of £40 a head to £100 a head. Yeah. I have um, to say, I did have a quote from Tom from the venue the other yeah. day. And yeah, it was £100 a person but it was unlimited drinks oh yeah amazing. and then like they come they get the food from the vendors and bring it to you so that's su- such good value yeah for, especially perfect. where it is as well yeah it's so close to you know you could go to borough station really easy and get on the northern line or you know down to elephant and castle get on the bakerloo so i think it's such good value um so when you're at Mercato yeah. at the traveling circus yeah. do you feel like you're at festival yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's got. I mean, it's got real sort of festival vibes about it, as you can yeah. imagine, because it is literally the the set from the festival. It's got those those sort of uh, drapes that you know when you're in like one of the tents with like drapes yeah. uh, ceilings. Yeah, like. festival vibes in the depths of winter. Yeah, That's in Elephant and Castle. <laughs> it's it's great. <laughs> Top luxury that. <laughs> I think, uh, as you say, it's it's a good idea for venues that are listening, because you all have to book your Christmas parties in January or February. Mm. So it's a great option for them and it's so unique as well. Pretty well connected if anyone's in a central London or yeah. you know, somewhere like that. Obviously really unique and really fun and um, should be a fantastic, fantastic evening for definitely, anyone who's down there. Definitely. So when they're like, so anybody that knows Mercato, obviously mm. it's that massive, it's a massive space. Yeah. So I'm assuming it's not the whole space. It's open to the public as well. Yeah. So it's it's, it's not in the, the main market. So when you walk in, yeah. um, if you sort of hang a right, like an immediate right, there's like a little a little doorway down there, which you wouldn't wouldn't think to go down. Okay. Um, and it's basically like a private space. There's a whole there's a whole area back, ah. back there. Um, yeah, it can be completely private for you. Yeah. You know, public's not going to be walking in and out. Mm. Um, if you wanted to, you know, to hire the whole thing exclusively, or obviously if you're a group of eight, then you're you're in there with you know up to other ninety other people. Yeah. Around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. So you all just like sit around, eat, drink, and then they've got the show like on the stage. Yeah, they've stuff. got. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, the show runs for most of it. I'd say. Okay. Um, it, you know, it's not. It's not your classic canapes and bowl foods no. networking event it's no. like something really really interesting yeah. and really fun yeah. i think we find as well like more and more people are asked clients are asking us for something different and something mm. unique yeah uh, it's got so. that activity element in it yeah. even though obviously you're not sort of taking part in the circus yeah so it's basically like going to a cabaret show or something like yeah that. yeah um but yeah I'd, uh, I'd fully recommend going down and, and checking it out. Um, they are on higher space, so you can check it out. It's called the Travelling Circus, Mercato Metropolitano. Um, and yeah, send your inquiries in as soon as you get them. Amazing. 
So my one um, is the latest addition to the Adventure Bar Group. Who they, what's, what's the Adventure Bar Group? So they are the same people that bought us Tonight Josephine, mm. uh, Bar Elba, the rooftop bar in Waterloo, yeah. Blame Gloria, um, Nikki's. They've got loads. A really good selection in central London. They've got a few slightly further south in Clapham. But really, really cool spaces. Um, all of them are so Instagrammable. So all of their venues have like um, those Leon, Leon? No, neon light. Um, <laughs> with quotes on and so you see that everywhere on Instagram and tonight Josephine is the one that says like well-behaved women don't make history but so this is their latest one and it's called the lost Alhambra um, and it is slap bang in the middle of Leicester Square so it's literally next door to the Odeon near the oh, wow. big Odeon where they do all the premieres and stuff it is open seven days a week Monday to Saturday it shots at 3am which oh, is really good brilliant. for you know so many people ask for you know oh, oh we need a 2am all the time nowhere shots then all the time so it's going to be really good for that um, they have 250 capacity standing mm. but it can be pushed to 400 with a temporary events notice oh brilliant so it's very big oh wow um, so in term, it's got loads of great history um, so the bar sits on the former site of the world famous Alhambra Theatre of Variety. It was well known for its like world class ballerinas performing there in the 1800s. It was demolished in 1936 to make way for the Odeon, which is now there. Right. Um, but rumour has it that once the ballerinas had like finished their performance, they yeah. would go down to the bar underneath the stage mm. and they would like kind of let loose. Oh. as it were so they'd drink champagne eat oysters flirt um, and then so this is the very same bar that they've resurrected as the Lost Alhambra brilliant um, it's Worth noting, one of my favourite facts about this place is that um, so the Alhambra Theatre was the first venue in London to allow women to enter unaccompanied by a man. <laughs> I love that. I think it's just the ultimate after party venue. As we said, it shuts at three. Um, that it's is just, awesome. Yeah. It's also it's also really nice to uh, like I imagine anyway to um, have somewhere in Leicester Square that you'd sort of want to go to. Like, yeah, I don't know about you, but all the, I, I find all the places there are kind of quite kind of touristy. And yeah, a bit, but... it's really lovely. Like inside. The interior kind of looks like a kaleidoscope. So there's like mirrored walls, again, neon signs, crazy floors. I think it's going to be really, really cool. Oh, wicked. So it's, yeah. we, we need to get down there. Yeah, definitely. We had um, recently had a fam trip with them, actually, um, myself and some of the other venue experts. Um, so we did like a safari. So we did like a bit of a tour around like a few of their bars. And it was so fun. It was very <laughs> boozy. They're a boozy group. They're the a adventure group. Bar group. <laughs> so, so who would you suggest as, uh, you know, that this would be, be good you know good to aim at definitely for any after party because mm. uh, we do get requests for that all the time so yeah. um you know after an award ceremony or you know even like a christmas party and the venue shuts at midnight people always want to move on yeah in terms of like the vibe it is definitely i think more tailored to like a younger crowd mm. um you know good place for a girls night out definitely definitely as a instagrammable um but also i think just because it was that it's that history that I love, that it was the first venue in London to allow yeah. women to come in. Yeah, um, awesome. So I think it's perfect for what a girls' night should be without a me- yeah, without <laughs> any men. <laughs> That's what it's about, oh, so definitely. Sounds great. But I think it's, you know, I think it's going to be ideal for its, you know, its location is amazing. Um, it's new, lots of history. I think people are going to love it. Yeah. Have you been to any good after parties recently, Kate? Oh, well, let me tell you about my after party experience. So... <laughs> 
Uh, it was actually last February, which is really scary. Oh, um, well, myself, nearly a whole year ago. <laughs> Can't believe that. <laughs> I, I don't stop talking about it as well. It's been <laughs> nearly a year, and I still go on about it. But myself, Joe, King of the Podcast, oh, yeah. and our the dulcet uh, tones of McGarrigal. <laughs> we got invited to the NTA, so the National Television Awards, yeah. um, as a guest from the OT, which oh. was so generous of them. We had the best night ever. Lucky so you. we watched the show in the OT, mm. and then went down to like the after party in the VIP bar. Oh, wow. It was the best night of my where, life. Where, oh, it was just, it was in the venue then? Yes, yeah, so it was in the venue. So they've got like a, yeah, bar underneath the arena, as it were. So we all went down and wow. it was great. So like they gave you a wristband. Yeah. I stru- like strutted in there, waving my wristband. <laughs> and like loads of fans were outside queuing to take take pictures of all the celebrities yeah. going in. I was like walking down, did anyone ask you for an autograph or anything? No, really sad. Um, so I think the question that the listeners are burning, you know, the burning question that they've got is, did you meet any celebrities? Yeah. Like, like the room was full of celebrities. And then there's signs everywhere saying, don't talk to the celebrities and don't ask for selfies. I was like, I can't come this far. And not Did ask you get somebody. any selfies? So yeah, we we found Jack Whitehall. Oh nice! <laughs> and asked Jack Whitehall for a selfie because he went to the same university that I did, and he lived in the same halls. Obviously, not the same time, but it was the yeah. same halls. So I walked past and I was like, Jack, are you from Tower? This thing that everyone used <laughs> you, to do. Did you say it like that? Yeah. And then he was like, oh my God, you lived in Tower as well. So we no bonded way. over that. Oh, great. So, so are you yeah. mates now? Do you like Best mates stuff? with Jack Whitehall, yeah. <laughs> well, I need to get myself to that event next year. <laughs> yeah, what was it called again, sorry? So it's called the Lost Alhambra. Amazing. Um, so yeah, own cocktail list, um, which are really delicious. Um, they also are, all their catering is done by Dip and Flip, hmm. which is the burger place. Um, so they're there as well um, like a little concession stand so yeah definitely go check it out I cannot wait to go and see it um, yeah I think I'll I'll head over there if I'm ever in the Leicester Square later and that is our show this week if you enjoy the show don't forget to rate us on iTunes Stitcher and all the other podcasting apps that you use you can follow all that we do on Twitter and Instagram using the handle eventlab underscore online if you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab at hirespace.com. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>